Alright. Psalm chapter 2. We find from the New Testament that this is no longer an orphan psalm, but we have identified as David is the author. He's looking back. He's looking back and maybe shaking his head. We think in our, it's, it's sort of like if he's looking at America today, and he might say these very words. Uh, of course, there's a, obviously there's a prophetic import as well, largely prophetic import. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and, and the rulers to take a counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Different speaker. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. You have, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. By the way, it's past tense, done deal. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this new speaker, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of thee, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for my possess thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. New speaker, the Holy Spirit. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that are put that put their trust in him. Isn't that a wonderful? I was just like, wow, what a wonder. I was, re I was reading, oh, sorry, I was considering it on the way home from work today. Uh, and so, what a wonderful psalm that is. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, direct my words tonight. Help uh, me to say nothing amiss. And that we glean some spiritual truths we can hang on to in this psalm. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. He lived from 1812 to 1889. Robert Browning was his name. And he wrote these words, God is in heaven, all's right with the world. Now, I'm not sure what world he was living in, but it wasn't quite the world of 2022 in July the 27th. As we look at reality, we wonder what he was looking at. Yet God is still in heaven. Uh, that is right. But the world is not all right. Since World War I was supposed to be the end of all wars, 20 million people killed in that war. And then we had World War II, which claimed 60 million lives. On December 25th, about 50 years ago, U.S. News and World Report said this: these words. Since World War II, there have been at least 12 limited wars in the world, 39 political assassinations, 48 personal revolts, 74 rebellions for independence, 162 social revolutions, either political, economical, racial, or religious. Just since 1967. Rebellion abounds. Why do the heathen rage? And we've seen the rage of those who are so angry that their wake is not held up to or believed or celebrated. We might prefer this limerick. I sort of like this. God's plan may be a hopeful beginning. No, God's plan made a hopeful beginning. But man spoiled his chances by sinning. We trust that the story will end in God's glory, but at present, the other side's winning. <laughs> so it so, uh, could be a limerick that someone might say today. If we looked around just from that, we would say, yes, the other side's winning. 
Now, we may chuckle at that, but down deep inside, it really is not a laughing matter, the scene of our world. Man is not in every day and every way getting better and better. Man is digressing worse and worse. Is the world out of control? Well, not in some respects we think, yes, it's in chaos, yes, but God is still on the throne. A, a woman, this is from the Reader's Digest in 86, a wife said to her husband, shall we watch the 6 o'clock news and get indigestion or wait for the 11 o'clock news and have insomnia? And so that's, uh, I have found, I might, I've learned nothing else the last month. If you listen to the updated news over and over for hours on end, you'll get discouraged. You will absolutely, because there's so many frustrating things going on in the world every single day. Why well, you can't, you just go, it's just, I'm much happier if I don't listen to it all the time. Much happier. I keep up with things, but not so much as it was. So it sets forth the wondrous vision, the tumult, if you would. If you want to think about this, that this part of why do the heathen rage, etc., the kings have set themselves, perhaps it is the return of Jesus right before the battle of Armageddon. Now, there are four speakers. Question number one, page number one, how many different speakers? There are four, and right below it, there are the four. There is the psalmist, David, who's the first three verses. David's looking back through the corners of time. We, God is yet in control, but why? Hello, why are the heathen raging? Why do they imagine a, a vain thing like you actually think you're going to win against God? That was sort of that's a paraphrase of that. Uh, what is the age-old question? Question number two is the first word of the psalm. Why? Why? What's the point? So the second three verses, the God the Father, the next three verses, God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit. That really will help you if you put that perspective. Again, thanks, Dr. Phillips, up in heaven. Thank you for this uh, reminder of, of this outline of, of how the psalm was laid out for us. Now, where did, question number three, rebellion begin on earth? In the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And that's where rebellion began. Although the beginning with the Garden of Eden, we find that there is still a united universal rebellion here against God. As you well know, in Revelation 19, you can find that the, 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 they're going to turn their cannons, their eyes toward Christ. And Christ is going to, as we come back with him, he's going to wipe them all out. The Valley of Jezreel, Armageddon. However, man, the resolution to revolt from God is, is one that man has persevered since it seems the Garden of Eden. Man has kind, has wanted to loose themselves from God Almighty. Number one, then, is God's guilty subjects and the formality of their rebellion. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? P.T. Forsyth said, The purpose of life is not find your freedom. The purpose of life is to find your master. To find your master. Our master is the Savior, and rightfully so. He made us and created us. What is the greatest human day of your life? The moment God gave you life. That was the greatest of your earthly lives. When God gave you, actually created you and gave you life. That's your greatest day. Now, interesting, the word imagine, why they imagine. The same word we found in Psalm 1, the same word is meditates, day and night. The word meditate, the same word is imagine. So, on the page 2, the godly man uses his imagination to meditate on things of God. The godless nations use their imagination to find ways to rid mankind of God. 
I just get so frustrated sometimes when you hear people who are just, they sit on their computers all day long, perhaps all night long, trying to find some gullible person who they can lock their computer and that gullible person has to send them $334.52 to get their computer, their own computer back to where it's working. I just get a real job. Make something positive of your life instead of, Taking somebody's money while you're sitting there and eating. I'm, I'm not against uh, uh, Hostess. What are those? Twinkies. I'm not against Twinkies. I like Twinkies. But do more than just sit and play on the computer with Twinkies all day. Get out there and do some constructive work. Now, what are ways mankind seeks to rid themselves of God? I think of laws, rebellion, destroy the Bible, destroy Christians, persecution. Ignore the truth, rage against the truth, that's very popular, rage against the truth, or just don't respond, or prevaricate and not answer questions about the truth. We, now, this idea over here, meditating, uh, is called here, why do they imagine? It's, uh, we think about a, a premeditated crime. As a matter of fact, we would call it premeditated murder. Now, if, if, for example, if our cat, and so I, perhaps I've been thinking about for months just how I'm going to dispose of that cat. And so that would be premeditation if I took the cat out premeditatively. But if it just so happens that he gets under my foot and I kick him through the screen door and he goes out, you know, and, and, and then I don't know, whatever happens, and he, uh, it would be like, that's a crime of passion. But premeditation is one we're thinking about. Why do they imagine? Why are you thinking about? Why are you going through all this effort to rebel Against God. Verse 2 The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The word set there is the next key word to take one stand. The nations take up a position. They decide they've had enough of religion, enough of God, especially the Judeo Christian religion, the far right or the right leaning people, and take a stand against it. We are far more increasingly a secularist, secularist society, secularist society. You find that that's where we are. When Antiochus Epiphanes went down to Egypt, the desperate Egyptians called Rome. Now, Antiochus was a Syrian. Now, you know, this is the same Antiochus Epiphanes who did roughshod over, we'll talk about this on Sunday night, I believe it is, or Sunday morning, roughshod over the temple, and he brought in the abomination of desolation, and so he was down in Egypt. The Egyptians called to Rome, please send us someone who can take care of the Syrian. And they sent down their ablest tri tribune man, went down there, and he was talking to Antiochus. And Antiochus prevaricated or stalled, hoping by, to gain by guile what he could not win by war. And the Romans said, stop right there. And he went to him and he draw, drew a circle around Antiochus and says, decide before you leave that circle. Decide what you're going to do. Decide. Before you step out of the circle. And that's the idea. They, they took counsel. They, they decided. They took counsel. They set themselves. Imagine a vain thing. Interesting there is a, is a, a placard uh, struck by Emperor Diocletian, who reigned from 284 to 305 AD. Still remains today. The inscription is this. The name of Christians being extinguished. And in Spain, there are two monumental pillars that were raised to him. The first one says, Diocletian, Jovian, Maximum, Heculius, Caesarus, Augusti, for having extended the Roman Empire to the east and the west, and for having extinguished the name of Christians who brought the Republic to ruin. 
The other one says regarding, it is a long name again, and says, for having everywhere abolished the superstition of Christ, for having extended the worship of the gods. And the commentator says, neither in Spain nor elsewhere can it be pointed out that the burial place of Christianity, for it is not, for the living have no tomb. The living have no tomb. He thought he had done away with Christianity. Er, not so. He hadn't. Just the opposite. It seems like the tighter the screws go, the more air escapes. The more Christians come to life and start serving the Lord. A mightier Roman than the last Caesars indeed will take his stand and they will stand against God and it will be a one direction uh, event, if you would. The third expression is the rulers take counsel together. We might say today's language, the United Nations got together and for the first time only the Security Council and all the members agreed and voted on one thing, all an agreement that we're going to do away, get rid ourselves of God. Just once and for all. And by the way, that is not a truly total far-fetched thing that could happen in our own. We should take, personally feel, the whole United Nations building it all and put it out to sea. And just, this is not, personally thinking, it's never done us any good whatsoever. And it's only going to be a detriment to our own nation. That's my personal feelings. God is the ruler and we need to have our own sovereignty. I won't say, that's just, I guess, I should, maybe I shouldn't say those things, but I think we'd be better off without them. That's my personal opinion. The formality of the rebellion. Secondly, is the force of the rebellion. Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers counsel together and against the Lord and his anointed. Now this rebellion is imposed on the masses. is not just one individual person, but embraces the many. The rulers take counsel together, the kings of the earth. It is a mass movement to uh, the whole geopolitical system to eradicate God. That's the force. And then there's the focus. Let us break, verse 3, their bands together and cast away their cords from us. We just don't want to be under the, under the, uh, this patriarchal culture. Oh, it's just, it's just, just, just everything. We're just going to blame it on the patriarchal culture. And this has so many problems because, now I know there are some men who behave terribly. Interesting though, the patriarchal culture for Israel's worked rather well for, hmm, 4,000 years? 4,000 years years hmm. uh, it works uh, and again there are men who have obviously many who have overstepped their bounds and mistreated their families and wives etc but god's design when it's done right works perfectly i mean god when god when everybody does their thing it works swell as the uh, little uh, ba- badger when the badger he was a beaver, beaver on lady the tramp it works swell and that's when when we're all, all people are on board and working. Now, you notice there's two people it's against. It's against the Lord and his anointed. Now, who is the Lord? Lord, that's Jehovah Old Testament. Who is the anointed? Jesus of the, they're the same, but Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. So what does that say? It says really, uh, and if it's more than, God's more than one person, the unit plural, Elohim. They're trying to over, uh, let us away from the bands, if you would. It's a rebellion against the person of God. It's a rebellion against the precepts of God. They want to get rid of man's cords or God's cords and bands, the restraints which the Bible imposes. Question five, do we see an effort today even to throw off God's moral restraints? Oh my goodness, yes, we do. The moral ethical teachings of the Bible are repugnant to a rebellious human heart. 
The precepts of the law of Moses and the, serpent, and the Sermon on the Mount are so not wanted by so much of the world. The psalmist sees a world in which time-honored Bible restraints are thrown off. John Phillips says, Modern man finds wholly unacceptable what the Bible has to say about the sanctity of marriage, human life, sexual purity, respect for parents, reverence for those in authority, about sin, salvation, and coming judgment. So I took just a moment today to look up some modern day examples of how we have tried to throw off the restraint of sanctity. First of all, marriage. I read from an article called How Getting Marriage Wrong Destroyed Every Great Civilization in the World. And about that, I read about that, the sanctity of human life. We find then that uh, so much has been said. So much, and we have, uh, I was reading that, I think it was 20, uh, 27 of the, last 20, of the last 27 deadliest mass shooters, 26, come from broken families. The people that did that. Sexual purity. We find then that 71% of, of young ladies who get with child uh, as a teenager have no father in the home. No father in the home. Respect for parents. There are lawsuits. A 27-year-old man in India is suing his parents because he did not uh, consent to being born. Did not consent to being born, so he's suing his parents about that. Uh, there also was a, a young girl who was suing her parents. Uh, uh, well, one was suing for child support. Another named Evie Toombs uh, is suing her mother for wrong conception because she has spina bifida. And the mother went ahead and had her as a, a child. And she has to spend some of her time, sometimes 24, 24 hours in a row, on, on IVs to be able to live. But I saw pictures of her, and she's functioning pretty well. But she's suing her mother because they went ahead and gave birth. And, 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 a guy, and then there's parents suing their child in India, the, father, the son and the daughter-in-law suing their son and daughter-in-law because there are no grandchildren yet. And either get a, give us a grandchild or $675,000. And there we go. And so that is, uh, that is where we are today. Reverence for authority. 80% of adolescents in psychiatric hospitals come from fatherless homes. Sin. Sin. 85% of youth in prison grew up without a, fa- without a father in a home. Salvation. Why? Uh, how do we get saved? I list, watched. I read about this. Uh, the way of works, knowledge, devotion, and Hinduism. Yoga says there's four paths to salvation. By the way, yoga is Eastern religion. So when you get, just be, if you're going to even think about that, I'm just I'm not trying to boohoo. Well, I guess I'm trying to boohoo yoga. Yes, I am because it's really Eastern religion. And just beware, please. And Truthbook.com regarding judgment. There is no physical place in the universe called hell. The Father in heaven is not a vengeful God who takes pleasure in tormenting his erring children. God is a loving God, but also he's a righteous and holy God. And he has said, if you do not receive me as Savior, you're going to be separating me from, or eternity, from me forever. So the world is, is already getting ready for a final rebellion. Atheistic commun- communism dominates well over a billion people on our planet as it is. And there, as, as uh, we find also Islam, probably 1.5 billion people are under the sway of Islam. Uh, there's humanism, there's atheism, secularism is growing rapidly in America, that they're just like nothing's religious at all. The fastest growing religious group in America are the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. I have no religion whatsoever. I'm the religion of none. To a graceless neck, says Spurgeon, the yoke of Christ is intolerable. But to the saved sinner, it is easy and light. We may judge ourselves by this. Do we love that yoke or do we wish to cast it from us? He's our Lord. 
and our master, and he has a right to expect us, and we are to serve him, and he wants us to serve him, and he should be served by us. So God's guilty subject, secondly, is God's great scorn. Verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Question number six, what is God's answer to the puny rebellion of mankind? He laughs. Page bottom of two, top of three now. He simply, he simply sits back and I, uh, one man said that it is a peal after peal of terrible, spine-tingling laughter. Men are such fools. How can puny man hope to win against Almighty God? And I was going, I just mentioned it the Sunday about a gentleman, uh, actually used to, attend our, used to attend our church. He wrote, I was texting with him on a Saturday morning. He says, quoting, speaking of U-turns, I am still his, God's personal comedian at times, comedian, especially when I try to tell him, hey, I got this. And he sits back and smiles, telling everybody in heaven, hey, watch my little crash dummy. And so the, the man just shakes their fist at God and says, oh, and he's just going to laugh and laugh. Modern man is sort of like the French revolutionary who had stormed the Bastille. and He, he had scaled the top of the Notre Dame this cathedral and torn the cross down and threw it down and it shattered to pieces on the pavement. And he said to a peasant who was walking by, we are going to pull down all that reminds you of God. And the peasant said, citizen, then pull down the stars. Then pull down the stars. So as much as he thought he was going to win, in your outline, as though man who has successfully orbited some hardware in space using material God has supplied and who has put a feeble footprint on the moon, as though man can compete with a God who has orbited a hundred million galaxies, as though man who has solved some of the subtleties of Adam and managed to scare himself half to death in the process can compete with a God who stokes the nuclear fires of hundreds of billions of stars. No wonder he that sits in the heavens simply laughs. Man, for all this, his technology and talents, for all his science and skill, for all his inventions, is still man, mere mortal man, and God is God. Eternal, uncreated, self-existent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, infinite, infallible, holy, high, and lifted up, worshipped by countless angel throngs. God laughs at men for being such fools. Who has said in his heart that there is no God? The fool, Psalm 14 Verse 1 has said in his heart, there is no God. He speaks in derision. Secondly, he speaks in displeasure. Five, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in a sore displeasure. God looks at the conference of the kings and listens to its communique. Perhaps something like this. We decree the banishment of God together with his principles and his people from the face of the earth. And God says, hey, Michael, why don't you take half a dozen angels and go down there and pour out my wrath on the earth and let's see who really is in charge of things. Tribulation time. Derision, displeasure. He speaks in determination. Verse 6, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. 38 times Jerusalem is mentioned in the Psalms. At the present, now it's, it's in Hebrew hands, but it's not going to be forever for sure. I believe we understand from biblical Futuristic, as a futurist, the Antichrist is going to be on the scene. He's going to, halfway through the tribulation, Satan falls from heaven. I mean, it's direct correlation. Satan is cast out of heaven, and the Antichrist takes over and becomes the most vile person and persecutes the Jewish people and the Christians, and he puts the abomination of desolation in the temple, and he sets himself up as God, I think very possibly, indwelt by Satan or one of his henchmen, very possibly, during the last... Uh, three and a half years of the tribulation time. 
and, and Jerusalem is trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. However, God said, yet have I set my king. It's done deal. It's past tense. It's already done as far as God is concerned. Jesus shall reign over all the earth. God's glorious son, number three, Christ is a speaker, and we see his sonship. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Numbers wise, question seven, what does this verse say about our God? I will declare the decree. The Lord Jehovah said unto me, the son, thou art my son. So this idea of modalism where it's just one God, but just three persons, he's, he's the father sometimes, the son sometimes, the spirit, that does not scriptural. We believe in a triune God, that we're Trinitarians, that there's the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit all working seamlessly together. Three persons, one God, Elohim, one but more than one. Eternally, he is God. From everlasting to everlasting, the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Put him first. He is number one of all. He's the firstborn of all. Not that he was created, but he is first in priority, period, second to none. He's God's only begotten son. His, his sonship. Lord, so the Lord has a word to say about his sonship. You know, all atheists and cultists in the world are not going to change the fact that Jesus is God's unique son. You can try. We just had the redefinition this past week of what is a recession or what is not a recession. To try to, to, to tweak things and to spin things a certain direction. Listen, you can spin all you want. He is God's eternal son. Always has been, is now, always will be. His sonship, his sovereignty in verse 8, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thy inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Now Satan said to Jesus, Ask those, ask those kingdoms of me, and I'll give them to you. But that was, came with a huge price. Jesus said, No. But now he will ask them of the Father. And the last page, his severity, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Question number eight, what comes to mind when you hear this dashed in pieces like a potter's vessel? Destroy with no reforming. It's like I am going to mash it down and I'm going to spear it. And you can't put the pieces back. You're like Humpty Dumpty. No one can put the pieces back together again. I guess I don't think they did. But anyway, this is worse than Humpty Dumpty. You can't put them back together again like a potter's vessel. In the future, one moment, the beast, the Antichrist, is going to be in charge. And all the, all the armies, even though they came to fight against him, they're going to turn with him. And they're all going to face toward the, the, the coming Jesus. I think they're going to be able to see him somehow coming in the air, at least for a time. And they're going to be able to wheel around in their bivouac, I think it's the right word, and be ready to fight against God. And one minute, he's the king of the earth. And the next moment, he's going to wind up in the lake of fire. A thousand years before anybody else. He and the false prophet. For our Lord will reign from the river to the ends of the earth. He will reign with a rod of iron, determined that man's wickedness shall be curbed. One person wrote, Thy foes in vain designs engage. Against his throne in vain they rage. Like rising waves with angry, and with angry roar, they dash and die upon the shore. How about the Roman emperors? Have you ever, I had never heard this before, and we got time. Uh, uh, emperors and governors who sought to persecute the early Christians. Listen to this. Of 30, here's about, accounting for 30. One became speedily deranged after some atrocious cruelty. 
One was slain by his own son. One became blind. One had his eyes started out of his head. One was drowned. One was strangled. One died in miserable captivity. One fell dead in a manner that was too, too awful to recite. One had so loathsome a disease that several of his physicians were put to death because they could not abide by the stench that filled his room. Two committed suicide. Three, a third, attempted it but had to call for help to finish the work. Five were assassinated by their own people and servants. Five others died the most miserable and excruciating deaths, several of them having the untold complication of diseases, and eight were killed in battle or after being taken prisoners. Those all stood against God. Among those was Julian the Apostate. In the days of his prosperity, he was said to have pointed his dagger to heaven, defying the Son of God, whom he commonly called the Galilean. But when he was wounded in battle, he saw that that all was over for him, and he gathered up his clotted blood and threw it in the air, exclaiming, Thou hast conquered, O thou Galilean. All that stood against God at the very end. You should read the stories of those who have come to their end while still lucid enough not on pain medicine and what they say and how they're so tormented. Was it one? Was it uh, Voltaire's? nurse has said, I will never ever watch over a person who's getting ready to die because he was such a terrible thing. All the things he experienced before he actually passed. I think it was Voltaire. God's gracious spirit as we close. Be, be wise now therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest ye be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. It's hands down. Why are you raging in verse number one? Listen to the last three verses. Blessed are they which put their trust in him. It's either or. It's either or. Either he's your, he's going to be your judge or he's your savior and master. God offers man peace, not war. But he will not force his love and mercy upon those who are determined to rebel. Before waging war, he offers the conditions of peace, and the conditions of peace are offered right now. You sinners seek his grace, whose wrath you cannot bear. Fly to the shelter of his cross and find salvation there. Richard de Leinhardt, which one of the most well-known kings of England from 1189 to 1199, he came to the throne at age of 32. He led the third crusade. He thought he was going to, he wanted to go out eastward with the best uh, army, best equipped army ever. He crossed the seas. He was trouncing Saladin, but while he was trouncing Saladin, back over in England, things fell on hard times. I don't know if there was a sheriff of Nottingham or not, but there was Prince John. Prince John was his brother. Now, Richard was the king, the rightful owner, but Prince John wanted to take over. He had a terrible foreign policy. He was irreverent, blasphemous, and he heard that Richard had been imprisoned by Richard's uh, old enemy, Leopold of Austria, and so John was delighted. Matter of fact, he entered into a treasonable correspondence with the king of France and planned to seize England for himself. If you've watched the uh, Disney uh, with the, uh, the, the cartoon uh, Robin Hood. It's a, he was just a terrible person, he was. He longed, he longed for the return. Finally, he got out of prison, and Richard came home. He landed in England and marched straight for the throne. And during that march, we have the tales of Robin Hood, Robin of Locks, etc., and all his merry men. And he came back, 
And they were so happy. And the bells of the churches all pealed. And they were saying, long live the king. Because Richard, the true king and the rightful king, had come back. I tell you, there's a greater king coming by far. King of kings and Lord of lords. Every eye shall see him. Oh, oh, but I think I'm going to be able to. No, you're not going to pass on that. If you, well, if, by the way, you probably don't, you don't want to be alive at that point. You want to be already in heaven. But everybody who's alive will see him, and Israel will weep and wail. And every eye shall see him, and they shall they also which pierced him. The heavens shall glow with splendor far brighter far than they, but brighter far than they. The saints shall shine in glory as Christ shall them array. The beauty of the Savior shall dazzle every eye, and the crowning day that's coming, by and by. The amnesty Christ offers to the world today is, is, is uh, temporary. He's going to come again. And I will tell you this, they will not crucify him this time. He will reign with a rod of iron, and you stick up your head against the Lord, I'm telling you, there'll be no, I think I should do it this way, and we'll make our laws to, oh, no, no. He was in charge forever and ever. The good thing is, this same God who will be in charge wants to be and loves us so much he died for us. It's, wow, amazing God, isn't it? Why do the heathen rage and imagine a vain, impossible thing that they can overthrow God? Blessed is the man that trusts in him. May we be blessed. Let's pray together. Lord, what a wonderful psalm. What a grandiose thing to look forward to. You in Mount Zion, sitting on your throne. We privileged to be a part of that. Lord, I pray that you help us in our time, in our era. There have been other difficult eras. People, Lord, have faced, are facing right now far more difficult things than we have ever even faced ourselves, even thought of, likely. But help us be faithful. May we grow. May, may we trust you more. May you be about, be, be about your business. Give us safety as we go home. In Jesus' name I pray.